Now, when we get to a goal, we got an invitation. This invitation was in the form of a fridge magnet. And it said, keep the date. <laughs> well, I don't think Bill and I would forget the date, because it was about our granddaughter's wedding next year. <laughs> but she wanted us to have what everybody else had. Now, I thought this was a new thing, you know, keep the date. But reading this parable, I realised it was a very old thing. The custom brought back again. Because in the time and the culture when Jesus told this story, it was customary to send out more than one invitation. The first one was a little bit like Keith the date. And then at the appropriate time, another invitation was sent out, which Maureen said, right, come, it's all ready. This parable represents the kingdom of God and his invitation to be part of it, to be citizens of the kingdom. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, was the very core of Jesus' teaching, wasn't it? Seemingly, now I can't say that I have counted them, but I read somewhere that 162 times in the New Testament is talked about the kingdom of God. So I think it's pretty important, the kingdom of God. And Jesus sent out his disciples to tell of the kingdom of God. And we are told to pray. We prayed it this morning. Come your kingdom and be done your will. <laughs> Something else I read. I can't, I can't take credit for this. The Hebrew word for kingdom is malkut. M-A-L-K-U-T. And it means to rule or to reign. Remember John the Baptist and Jesus both said, the kingdom of God has come near. Now that's exciting, isn't it? It's even more exciting that God wants us to join in his kingdom, to join in his banquet. <coughs> the Jews were very good at celebrating, very good at feasting, and hospitality was a big thing in their culture. They were really good at celebrating and having banquets. But this banquet that Jesus calls about is a banquet that will last a lifetime and on into the next life with him. God had intended that mankind should live close to him right from the very beginning of time. But as we know, it all went a bit pear-shaped, didn't it? But that didn't deter God or change his mind. His plan was set. We hear in Genesis very early on, don't we, about how God invited Abraham to this feast, this banquet. He asked him to leave his home and go to where he would take him. And he's been inviting people ever since. So Jesus tells this story about a wedding feast. But it's not quite the story his listeners wanted to hear. Maybe we don't like to hear it too much either. We want to hear about God throwing a party open for everyone. When he does, God invites everyone. But we are the ones who exclude ourselves. We keep ourselves from the party. 
We are given the privilege of choice. God gives us free will. And we have to make this decision for ourselves. We have to decide how we will respond to this invitation. Do we want to join and be citizens of the kingdom? Or do we want to go on our own way? This wide open invitation is what many want to hear today still. People want to hear that everybody's going to be fine. We're all okay. Just fine as we are. God loves us and he won't want to change us. But this argument doesn't really work, does it? When the blind or the lame or the lepers or people with evil spirits, however you want to think about that, when they came to Jesus, he didn't say, oh, you're all right the way you are. No, he healed them and he freed them. He responded to their needs and he changed them. Yes, Jesus loves us just where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are. As lives were transformed and changed then, so he wants us to be transformed into the people that he intended us to be at the beginning. And that's all for our good too. Everything that God tells us to do in vain is for our good. He knows us. He knows us inside out. You know that Psalm 139? He's known us since before our mother's knew us. We've had that lovely little new baby there this morning. God knew that little baby even before his mother died. Her mother died. You should say that's how much God loves us. And he wants us to know him. And one way is through prayer. We're going to be thinking about that. Conversation with God. Coming with our needs, whatever those needs might be. As I say, yes, God loves everyone. But He hates what some people are doing. The effect it has on others, and the effect that has on themselves. And ultimately, if God is good, then He cannot allow awful behaviour. And if these people don't change, why then they can't remain in the party? <clears throat> the party that he's giving for his son. And I think that's the point of that funny bit at the end of that story. You know, that puzzling bit about the wrong clothes. I've puzzled over that. We'll come back to it. <laughs> I think Jesus was, well as always, telling lots of truth. He knew the religious and the political leaders, then, and probably now, went to hide the truth that God's kingdom is a kingdom in which love and truth, justice and mercy reign unhindered. And I think these are the clothes that we've got to wear in the feast. These are the clothes we have to wear if we want to live in the kingdom. <coughs> Love, mercy, truth, justice. If you like, they are the national costumes of the kingdom. Paul speaks of clothes to the Colossians, doesn't he? 
He says, clothe yourselves with tender heart of mercy, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says to put love on top of it all, like an overcoat. So we must keep checking our clothing too. We are to be humble, loving, kind, forgiving people. How do we do this? Sounds good. It always sounds easier in church on Sunday. It's not so easy on Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's by Friday, sometimes we're quite struggling. <laughs> How do we do it? We have to stay very close to Jesus and get to know him through prayer. So to give you a little break from my voice, we're now going to sing a song. We cannot measure how you heal or how you answer every sufferer's prayer to the, what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice and celebrate that we are citizens of the kingdom. And as citizens, we are children of God. And as children, everything that was available to Jesus is available to us. But we need to stay very close to our Father God. We need to talk to Him. As John says, we need to listen. Just the way Jesus did. And we understand joy to be singing deep inside, don't we? It's not dependent on outward circumstances, because sometimes they can be a bit rubbish, can't they? It's about knowing God and depending on Him. Knowing that He's in control, regardless of what it looks like from a worldly point of view. That's why Paul can see rejoice in the Lord. Now in Paul's world and culture, this rejoicing would have meant public celebrations as well. The folk all around in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi, they used to organise great feasts to celebrate their gods. That's gods in the small g. And not least the new god that was Caesar. You know, Caesar happened seeing all sorts of things that we attribute to Jesus. So why not celebrate King Jesus? It's only right that they did so. But Paul does say that the Christian church should be gracious and loving. That our exuberance shouldn't hurt sensitive people or people of a quieter nature. Well, I don't really think in the time that we're in danger of doing that, are we? I don't think we celebrate and get as excited as the Jewish people and the early Christians. Never mind. Paul says three things come into line if we rejoice in the Lord and celebrate his kingdom joyfully. The first one is about prayer. Prayer that overcomes anxiety. Now I'm sure all of you, like me, don't like being anxious. Then he talks about the thought patterns that celebrate God's goodness. And then about our lifestyle which speaks the gospel. In other words, kingdom living. So back to the first one, the prayer that overcomes anxiety. 
Well, anxiety was a way of life in these early people. Their gods and goddesses had to be kept happy. They had to be appeased all the time, because they might get angry about something that had been done. Or there might be something just around the corner that they didn't know about. But God has revealed himself in Jesus. And although we are not exempt from hardships and suffering, we know we can come to God and we can know that he listens to us. Whatever we pray about, whether it's something big or something small, if it concerns us, then God's concerned for us. He wants us to bring it to him. After all, what earthly father doesn't want to know what his child is unhappy or worried or anxious? Parents want their children to talk to them, don't they? That's one of the, the, the big problems with teenagers. You want your teenager to talk to you, but they want to keep it up in words and tears. God wants us to talk to him. Now some people say, oh, we shouldn't talk to God with small things. We shouldn't pray about the weather. Even if it's on a church picnic, you shouldn't pray about the weather. You shouldn't pray about parking spots. But you know, a few years ago, my daughter and I went quite a few times, quite regularly, to the Freeman Hospital with my granddaughter. And we prayed and asked for a parking space. <laughs> and God provided us with a parking space week after week after week. If you need a parking space for something, just ask. <laughs> Some people say, oh, you can't talk to God like that. You can't just say exactly what you're feeling. Well, we just heard about Elijah. My, go into with God exactly how he felt, didn't he? He went to Mantora. That was the sacred place where God had met and spoken with Moses. Do we have special places? There are special places here during the week. We can have a special place at home. The room where we feel God's met us there before and we just need to go. Might just be a chair in the corner somewhere we go regularly. We know that we can meet God anywhere. We can pray anywhere. But sometimes it helps just to go to a special place. One says pray about everything. Big, small, whatever. Pray about it. And then we'll have peace. Knowing that God is in control and he can do far more than we can do in any situation. Far more than we can ever even imagine. Worries, well, worry just makes us less effective for anything, doesn't it? And what does that look like to our friends and neighbours who don't know Jesus? If we fret and worry just the way they do, probably will think, well, knowing Jesus isn't helping them, it's not making a difference. No, we've got a, a choice again. There's that invitation. Worry or peace? God says, come and talk it over with me. Let me give you peace. And then Paul tells us to think about lovely things. But it's so easy to get bogged down with all the horrible things that are going on in the world, isn't it? They're 
quite directly opposite to God's beautiful word and his kingdom. And if we keep filling our minds and just thinking about these things, how can we celebrate the goodness of God in his kingdom? If we just keep filling our minds with all these other things, that's how we end up thinking. No, we've got to have positive thoughts. Lovely thoughts, Paul says. Now we could start off by thinking how precious we are to God. We read how he has plans for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? God sings over us. Imagine God singing over us. That's a lovely thought. If you look in the scriptures, you'll find loads of lovely thoughts that you fill your mind with. And then we've got this last bit where Paul basically tells the Philippines to be like him. <coughs> wow. It's very sobering, that, isn't it? I would feel very uncomfortable this morning if I stood here and said, I want you to be like me. <laughs> very, very uncomfortable. But that's about our lifestyle, isn't it? It's about kingdom living. Paul oh, spent loads of time with God. I get the impression from, from the Bible that God thought about nothing else but God in the spreading of his kingdom, spreading the gospel. Here he's telling the people in Philippi, just come and talk with God. Talk and talk and talk. To experience the peace it comes when you tell God everything that's on your mind. Some of you, probably like me, have a prayer partner. It's a good thing to have a prayer partner. It keeps me focused. You have to have someone that you trust. Someone who's not judgmental about you. I know I can say anything to God in front of my prayer partner and she not think, Oh, gosh, I'm old. She's not like that, I can trust her. We, we pray about all sorts of things, more small things than big things. We pray about our families, we both have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We pray about our church families. They're not clever, thought out prayers. Sometimes in the middle of the door we say, Oh Lord, I'm so sorry, this is such a jumble. I hope you can make sense of it. He does, because he knows what's in our hearts. And you know at the end of it, when we first, we look at each other and say, Oh, that was good. It seems to put everything back into perspective. Brings us peace. However, our prayers, as John was saying, are not just to be talking. We have to learn to listen. Oh, and that's the harder thing to Yeah, it is hard. <coughs> But we need to learn to do it, to sit in his presence. You know there's a song we sing, isn't there? To be in your presence and to sit at your feet, where your love surrounds us and makes us complete. This is our desire. But that's God's desire too. He wants us to sit at his feet and listen to him. Sitting at his feet can be called soaking, just being with him, not doing anything, not saying anything sometimes. And we may be surprised at what God says to us in these times. 
It may not be an audible voice, but it might be. Might just be a picture he gives you. God gives me more pictures than words, but he knows I'm just a simple little soul. And I can understand a picture a lot easier than words. Might just be an impression, strongly made on you, it just doesn't go away. Maybe that was the, the whisper that Elijah heard. I don't know about you, but my mind works all the time. If I'm not talking, I'm thinking. Sometimes I think, oh, I have to get away from myself. We need to practice this lesson. And then we'll get to know God better. Not more about Him. We get to know Him better. Knowing more about Him is really just an academic exercise. That's not what God wants. He wants us to listen to Him and get to know Him. Mark Birch Macon in his book, Speakers of Life, says this. The presence of God is where we belong. It's ours by right. We're not renting it. We don't have to pay more for it. Jesus has paid for it in full. And the legal documents are signed in his blood. God wants us to know him. He wants us to talk with him readily and often. He wants us to listen to him. He wants us to enjoy him and to celebrate in his banquet, the banquet that will go on and on. And as children of people living in his kingdom, we are called to be light. Just as Abraham, all those centuries ago, was called to show God to the nations. We are called to be salt and light, aren't we? So it follows that we need to keep coming to this salt and light. We need to keep coming to the Lord. We call that prayer. A conversation with the Lord that runs like a vital, strong thread through our lives. Now there have been countless books written on prayer, numerous sermons given on prayer, and many seminars attended on prayer. But you know, we've just got to do it. Read about it to the council home. We just have to do it. And that's just exactly what we're going to do with Pam and I now. So let's pray. <coughs> Loving and amazing God, we thank you for this wonderful gift of prayer. Thank you that you always listen and you promise us your constant love and care. You meet our deepest needs and give us that inner peace. In every circumstance, when we bring it to you, we know that that peace may not come overnight, but it might just mature gradually as we learn to come more readily to you with all our anxieties and leave them with you and trust you. Draw us closer as we talk more with you and get to know you better.